0: All right, here we are. Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 25. Let me read you to the end of the chapter. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in might, uh, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, Let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, we're going to talk about this thing um, that you find in verse 31 called One Flesh this morning. Um, I want you to know that I have sought to guard my words, uh, knowing that this subject just may not be the most... um, fitting or suitable for the youngest among us. However, I, I can't avoid the subject. Um, I guess I could, um, but I'm not going to avoid the subject. Uh, and nor can I avoid uh, some some key terms, some key words. But I want you to know that that I have taken great pains uh, to keep you from being made uncomfortable. Okay? I promise you. Um, guys, this is a hard sermon to preach and it's hard, not because of the subject matter. That's not the hard part. The hard part is that the text is somewhat unclear. And I hate to say that about any text. I love this book. I, I think it's the book of all books, but this, this little portion of it, um, has a certain degree of unclarity to it. And, and, and let me show you what I mean. Um, you'll see that Paul is talking to husbands about loving their wives, and he's he's talking about marriage. Isn't he? Yeah, I, 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 I thought he was. And then he throws this monkey wrench into the machinery at verse 32, when he says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. That's the thing. That's the thing that makes this difficult to deal with. Um, Are you talking about marriage, Paul? Well, yeah, sort of. Not really. Maybe. Kind of. Sort of. But it refers to Christ in the church. That's the hard part. Now, I don't know how to explain what's going on in the mind of the Apostle Paul. I'm not into the mind of the Apostle Paul. But I've got a, got a, a thought. Paul, being a bachelor every time he came, up with, came to this subject of one flesh in marriage, his mind immediately raced to the, to the intimacy, the union that existed between Jesus Christ and his bride, which is the church. And thus you get this somewhat unclear statement in verse 32. What he seems to do is blend or combine those two things. That is, one flesh in marriage, and our union with Christ um, as his people, as his bride. He seems to blend those two. And so am I. Going to blend those two. (laughs) Because I think that's properly handling the text. But in the process of so doing... um, I may confuse you, and, and I, I don't want to do that, but I, I want you to know um, it's because of this little bit of, in fact, he even uses the word mystery. This thing is a mystery. Yeah, <laughs> it is kind of, sort of. I'm going to do my best. What I have sought to do in my preparation this week is to at least distill this down into one principle that you could take home, and I think I've done that. Um, I, I want to at least give you or leave you with one thing that you're certain about, that, you're, that, 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 that I'm clear about. And I, and I think I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to divide my comments uh, under two headings. Number one, the principle behind one flesh and the uh, the practice of one flesh. That's, um, those are the, the two headings, the principle behind one flesh. Let's start there. Guys... Um, That's really the main point that I have for you that I that I think you can take home. And that is this principle behind the one flesh. Um, Here it is. Here's the principle. Give me a couple of sentences. One of the cures for the fractures um, of our marriages is found in two scintillating words One Flesh. But I hope you will let me explain that before your minds race off into one rather predictable direction. Here's, here's what, I'm, what I'm saying. The same principle that operates to make a healthy marriage is the same principle that operates in making a healthy soul. And that principle is fidelity. When when I am unfaithful to Christ, my soul gets sick. When a spouse is unfaithful, the marriage gets sick. So sick that many of them die of, of that sickness. So, so what I'm saying is this, when we think of one flesh, the first thing that should pop into our minds is not whoopee. The first thing that needs to, to flash into our minds is Fidelity. This, this one flesh idea that's contained in the, the Bible, this one plus one equals one, I think we all know what it, what it refers to. It, re, it refers to when two persons of opposite genders unite at the deepest level. It's kind of a, a fusion of the souls. One author said it like this. He says, It's an organic commingling of two people at their most yielded and vulnerable selves. I like that. But guys... Um, the the thing that is necessary to experience that the um, the the commingling of two people at their most yielded and vulnerable the, the the thing that's necessary to 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 experience that is fidelity. Animals experience copulation, but what makes one flesh one flesh? ...is fidelity. And that's my point this morning. Um, What I'm promoting this morning... ...is not so much... ...one flesh. What I'm promoting this morning... ...is fidelity. In both relationships. My relationship to Christ... My relationship to my spouse. Now, let me let me um, start doing that, <laughs> um, guys. Um, I want you to consider this: um, the redemptive story contained in the Bible is one long story about a marriage. You know, I've got all kinds of verses written in in my margin of my notes here. But I'm just going to just mention one. This is in Isaiah 54. Um, It says, for your maker is your husband. The Bible often uses marital language to describe the the, the relationship that exists between Jesus Christ and his people. It's often referring to sin as adultery. Because it is, um, sin is an unfaithful act to my heavenly bridegroom. There's all kinds of language like that in the Bible. Because the Bible contains this one redemptive story and often it is set in marital imagery. Um, now, if, if that is true, then you would certainly expect the whole idea of one flesh to come up frequently. Well, it comes up several times. The first time it shows up is in, of course, Genesis chapter 2 at the very inception of marriage. But then centuries later, we come into the New Testament and Jesus also reminds us of this very strange math um, and points to the, the dynamic reorganization in marriage um, by saying, you know, um, uh, that a husband leaves his father and his mother and holds fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's in Matthew 19.5. But then he adds something. Um, And I'm not sure, guys, that we've ever slowed down to to consider this. This is what Jesus adds. He says, so they are no longer two. They are one, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. That's the new thing. Did you ever think of your marriage as being something that God joined together? together. Guys, there is in that a hint that there is something more in this one flesh business than, than something purely physical. The third time or a third time that this one flesh thing is mentioned is of course in our text in Ephesians chapter five, and there Paul adds something new again. If you're looking at it, it's in um, it's in verse thirty two. He's um, he says in verse thirty one, and the two shall become one flesh. There it is, and then he says in verse thirty two, this mystery. Wow, this mystery. And then he leaves it for us preachers to try and explain what that is. This mystery um, um, is profound. And then he adds, taking it to a mind-blowing level, he says, and I'm saying that it, that mystery, that one flesh, refers to Christ and the church. Pew. What does he mean? What, what, what is... At least he acknowledges that it's a mystery. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Um, but guys, here's what I think. Paul is saying. He's saying, yeah, 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 this this one flesh thing is profound. But the real reason behind it all is to point us to another groom and another bride. The groom? Of course, Christ. The bride? The church. That would be us. Um, the one flesh of all one fleshness is the union that Jesus Christ has with his people. Christ is the ultimate faithful lover. The the, the point of all this biblical narrative about using marital imagery is to promote an idea about God. And do you know what that idea is? Fidelity. His faithfulness. This whole redemptive story, talking about marriage and adultery and your husband and all this business, which then gets translated maritally into this this one flesh event... But that thing (laughs) refers you to, says Paul in verse 32, it refers you to the great faithful groom, to his bride. Because of his faithfulness, we are to respond in kind... Both to him and to our spouses. You know, guys, uh, again, in my in my study this week, I stumbled across this. I'd love for you to see it. If you can find it real quick, it's in Isaiah 56. Um, but if, if you can't find it, don't worry about it. It's just one verse in Isaiah 56. Isaiah is writing this great section of his book that's having to do with the suffering servant and Isaiah 53, of course, is the the apex of all of that. And then then he comes to chapter 56 and he says in verse um, 5, he says this, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Do you understand what Isaiah just said? He says, You who are non Jews but have joined yourself to Yahweh, you Gentile believers who have joined yourself to Yahweh, don't say that eventually I know what's going to happen. Yahweh is going to dump me. Don't say that. Do you know what that would mean? It would mean that the husband of Israel is unfaithful. And that is unthinkable. This whole storyline in the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, this whole redemptive marriage thing is to communicate to us the great faithfulness of our bridegroom. And we are to respond to that faithfulness with a faithfulness of our own, to him and to our spouses. Ladies and gentlemen, I I think there's such a poetic beauty in all of that. But I think what may be more interesting to you is how how does this get fleshed out in my marriage? Well, it means for my marriage this, that my one flesh with my wife or your one flesh with your husband is a fusion of souls and it is to mimic Christ's one fleshness with me, but specifically the faithfulness is to be mimicked. Christ's faithfulness, even to death on a cross, becomes the standard by which faithfulness in a husband and faithfulness in a wife is to be measured. And and it becomes a pattern um, which our love ought to reenact. And in the reenactment of that faithfulness, or, or of that one fleshness, it is to shout fidelity. The key characteristic of Christ's union with his people is his faithfulness to them. And the key characteristic of the one flesh that exists in my home is to be faithfulness. Now, on top of all that, God gives us one command out of ten. It's the seventh command, as you know. It's a commandment that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's a very simple, straightforward test of the existence of love. And and it is a a defense against attacks on this very vital union, this very vital institution known as marriage. It is a commandment that calls us to faithfulness. The idea of having another lover, mm, unthinkable. But it does more than that. That is, the commandment does more than that. While it does give us a safeguard for our marriages, it also, the commandment does, it also points us to a greater good because it gives us an insight to the nature of God. It speaks to us about a faithful God who never defects from his promises. Ladies and gentlemen, may I be the first to inform you God does not commit adultery. So our faithfulness is to be in response to His. This this union um, is so mystical, such a mystery, that even the slightest whisper... Of infidelity can damage the relationship. Well, which relationship are you talking about, Jimmy? Both of them. The relationship that I have with Christ, the relationship that I have with my spouse, is so mystical. that even the slightest whisper of infidelity can damage it who who among us what what kind of beast can give themselves freely when there is the slightest hint of infidelity of the possible existence of another lover Guys, the horror in so many marriages that I talk to is that the one flesh has been violated. Infidelity. And everything is damaged. But the same thing is true. In my relationship with the Lord Jesus, if and when I permit and choose infidelity to Him, everything gets damaged. Our Savior will never promise His love to us and then later take it away. Don't ever say that. That's what Isaiah said. That's what he meant. Disunity between our heavenly bridegroom and us will never happen. Just like it is to never happen to a husband and a wife. The sanctity of one relationship is to be a reminder of the sanctity of the other relationship. <laughs> And fit it in there any way you want. The sanctity of my relationship with Christ is to remind me of my sanctity in a relationship with my wife. Or the, uh, the re- sanctity of my relationship with my wife is supposed to remind me of my sanctity in my relationship with Jesus. Because, ladies and gentlemen, says Paul, this is a mystery that's profound, but it refers. It refers to Christ in his church. You want one flesh? Then go get it. And then watch how your life of physical intimacy soars. But that requires fidelity. The same thing applies to my relationship with Christ. Faithfulness to my faithful Savior leads to intimacy. Infidelity with him makes me ill, very ill. Now, guys, that's the principle behind one flesh fidelity. Now, let me let me um, go to my second point, which has to do with the practice of one flesh. In light of the principle, in light of the principle of fidelity that leads to one fleshness, in light of that, then the first thing that I would point out to you in terms of the practice of one flesh is this it requires, it demands, it expects zero tolerance. For any other lover, you know, my friend. If if you think that you can look at only a little porn and and uh, and get away with that, you've been duped. Or if you if you think that you can just do a little flirting with someone who's not your spouse and get away with that. You've been duped. Or if you think that you can get away with just a little messing around, you've been lied to. Because of the Mystical profundity of this thing called one flesh. It permits of no suitor and it demands zero tolerance. God's sexual love is maximally enjoyed when is it when it is exclusively given. You know, I, I would say to you, very practically, that the best way to create a vibrant sexual intimacy is to excel at verbal communication. You know, it's um, 10% perspiration and 90% communication. And, and, and I, I really believe that, that Solomon had that in mind in Proverbs chapter 16 when he says this, Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. It's those gracious words there's that, 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 that provides sweetness and, and health. When, when communication, if and when communication breaks down in your marriage, everything else breaks down. In my study, I I came across a, a Tolstoy quote that I thought was wonderful. He says this, Man survives earthquakes, epidemics, the horrors of disease, and all the agonies of the soul. But for all time, his tormenting tragedy has been, is, and will be the tragedy of the bedroom." And that tragedy has been brought upon us, ladies and gentlemen, by infidelity. Zero. Zero tolerance. Ladies and gentlemen, by grace, God is making us... into some faithful lovers, which which the world notices. I told you this story before, but I thought of it again, and I, I I have to tell it again. But years ago, when I was still on staff at Central Church, it was around Christmas time, and my wife sent me out to buy some Christmas presents for three women. One of them was my secretary, and, and I, I forget who the other two were, but my wife had found this this little gift that was affordable it was a it was a silver plated little bow that you stuck right here in your shirt collar, whatever and uh, it was quite cute and and um, My wife told me where it was, how much it cost, and she told me to go buy and get three of them that we that I could give away uh, I guess the other two women were friends of her i don 't really remember, but there were three of them that I was buying one of them was my secretary and so it was this real hip chic boutique over here, and you know these Memphis. So I went in there and I, I walked, I mean, it's a small little store and I walked in there and there's the, the glass counter and there's the, the thing right there. And so I walked almost right to it. And this, this woman who, <laughs> this woman who uh, waited on me, uh, she was attractive. She was young and very attractive. And so she came sauntering over there, and uh, she said, yes, sir. And I said, well, I'd, I'd like to have um, that, little, that little silver-plated bow there. I'd like to have three of those. And she kind of stepped back, and she said, whoa, <laughs> we have uh, quite a ladies' man here, don't we? <laughs> and I said, no, ma'am, I am a one-woman man she turned to the, the other girl that was in the store and she said, Margaret, did you hear that? She looked back at me and she said, that sounds so beautiful. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, our world longs for meaningful relationships. And if you've got one, the Lord has done you a favor. And if we can't give the world anything else. Let's show them our marriages. To the student population who might be here or the singles world that might be here, let me say to you that you can practice fidelity because you can make promises as a student or as a single person and and keep them. You can learn to be faithful should God ever grant you or should you ever desire to be married. You learn faithfulness by practicing it now. Now. One more thing, and I'm done. You know, uh, Proverbs 27 talks about iron sharpening iron. Will marriage allows for just such a sharpening to take place? And yet, it does so in the in the gentlest way imaginable. Who ever heard of being sharpened? Against a warm, familiar body of loved flesh. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is our privilege. That is, we married folk. It's a privilege given to us by a God who has entered into an eternal. One flesh relationship with his people. He did that. He he, he entered that relationship with his people by and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Coming to Christ is where it all begins. Um, it's, It's when God the Holy Spirit comes crashing into the citadel of our souls and takes over. And by his so doing, he's made us brand new creatures as we saw in 2 Corinthians 5. And then he stays. He takes up residence within us. And we spend a lifetime cooperating with the power of the Holy Spirit, making us into the image of Jesus Christ. And that, my friend, is the hope of our marriages. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you will remind us that apart from grace, there's very little hope for us, if any. But because we've been made new, because we have been bought with a price, because the Spirit of God has taken up residence within us, we have a chance to do something that is so so coveted by the world so meaningful to us as individuals, so mysterious, so mystical. The one thing that gives us a little bit of insight into our union with Jesus Christ. And so, Father, would you help us do that? Would you help us pull it off because we need not just one miracle, but a series of miracles to die to self so that we can serve one another. Father, um, might the world see not how happy we are in our marriages, but might the world be able to take note that they are who they are because of sovereign grace. That what you have done in us is something that we could have never done for ourselves. And we have what we have because you have granted it in grace. Use us, Father, to reach a world that longs to know the beauty of one flesh. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.